Good morning. It's, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for, for today. Uh, pastor Aaron is a pastor at Living Hope uh, Neighborhood Church. And of all churches that we partner with, I would say we feel the closest with Living Hope. And a big reason why is consecutive years we put together an eye screening. And we, we do this eye screening during the summertime. And it's been so mutually beneficial. Can I say the mutual part? I mean, I can say for us, it's been very beneficial. And, and one way it's been beneficial is really from the pulpit. These guys, uh, that we've gotten to know their church and their pastors. They, they're incredibly gifted, very passionate people. And one place of gifting has been in their teaching. It's very gospel-centric. Uh, they definitely have Christ in their hearts. And I would say this one thing about Pastor Aaron. I try to say something different every time he comes. One thing about Pastor Aaron, if you know him, if you spend a little bit of time with him, is he has something I like to call um, <clears throat> a contagious faith. Very contagious faith. You, you spend a little bit of time with Pastor Aaron, you get this feeling like, you know something? God can do anything. And uh, definitely he just rubs that spirit off uh, wherever he goes. And so let's put our hands together to welcome Pastor Ayers and he comes up here and opens God's word for us. Good to see you, yeah. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, we first want to say thank you for hearing us pray right now. Um, we don't even want to take that lightly. The fact that Almighty God listens to us in this place at this time. Um, it's pretty amazing. And we want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to us. Um, Father, we also want to take this time to confess a few things before we get in your word that uh, oftentimes, Lord, we are very self-sufficient. We may say a lot of the things about the gospel and about it's not about us, but we live our lives, and I know I do, especially, Lord, in my own strength and in our own strength. And we don't like to admit it, Lord, but we're still very spiritually self-sufficient. So, Lord, we confess that to you. And um, God, we're scared, to be honest, of this idea of being desperate for you. God, to be desperate for you and weak is not something that is normal for us. But Father, if, if we pull back all our pride and all our self-sufficiency, and if we're honest with ourselves and honest with you, God, we are a very, very needy people. Full of insecurities. Full of chasing dumb idols. Full of doubts. And God, what we need is to hear from you. A few things, God, that you love us. <laughs> we say it so lightly, Lord, sometimes and so flippantly, God, but at, at our core, Lord, there are days where we just don't feel loved by you and that you're not with us. So, Father, we need to hear that you love us. And we also need faith to actually believe that. And Father, we need to hear that you are not mad at us. That there is delight when you look at your sons and daughters and not condemnation and judgment. And we need the faith to believe that as well, Lord. So Father, we come to you uh, this morning just confessing, Lord, that we are weak. We are insecure. We do have doubts. We are inconsistent. We do disobey. 
we do chase after things that won't satisfy us. And we believe lies. So we are thirsty and hungry for truth and righteousness and for You, Almighty God. And would You fill us not with religious how-tos, not with a to-do list, but with grace and the Gospel and truth. And would You restore the joy of our salvation. And we'll give You all the credit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Well, um, as the worship team has uh, just blessed us this morning with this idea and this theme that uh, of being thirsty and hungry for God, um, being desperate almost for God, um, it made me ask a question, like if I were to ask you right now, like how would you describe where you're at spiritually? Like, what words would you use to describe where you are at spiritually? Um, how have you entered into the house of God this morning, into worship? What would be some words that um, describe you? Do you have any expectations or is this just some religious routine that you're stuck in? Are you anxious? Are you bogged down with guilt because of a bad week at home? Horrible parenting. <laughs> like, how have you entered into this place? Would maybe the word numb describe some of us this morning? Just completely numb. Just no feeling. Or some of us, maybe as we sang songs as the worship team and as we sing, Jesus, come, please, like some of us, we, we felt that and we said, yeah, we're, we're hungry for that. We are desperate for that. We, we are thirsty for that. Are you thirsty this morning? I know that that sounds like a really weird thing to say, like it's but I think it's a valid question. Like, are you thirsty this morning? Are you spiritually just craving something that you cannot manufacture yourself? Are you feeling dry and tired of the religious routine and what you need is to, to, to just to be filled by God in a way that you haven't been filled in a long time? See, some of us, when we think like that's our state, that's our desperation, we sort of shy away from that. But I actually think this is the perfect place to be thirsty and to be dry and to be desperate and thirsty in two types of ways, like thirsty this morning in the sense that we are parched and weary and in desperate need of nourishment. There's that type of thirsty that I think some of us are at and are, are experiencing. Then there's the thirsty that we have tasted and we have savored the goodness of God and all we want is more. And we are thirsty in that way. And I believe that two, one of those describes you. Either you're thirsty in that you are lacking nourishment and you are parched and weary and dry and you are caught in a religious routine and you have no expectations here this morning and you are just desperate need for God to speak to you. There's that type of thirsty, which is this is the perfect place for that. And then there's the thirsty where you just can't wait to hear from God's word. You can't wait to come into those doors because you have tasted and seen that God is good. And you are ready to receive more. You are thirsty for Him. You see, I, I believe that um, this is the place to be filled. Matthew 5, 6 says this. It said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I am praying that this morning, whether you are thirsty and parched and need nourishment since, or you are thirsty and that you have tasted and seen that God is good and you want more, I am praying that we leave this place, as this verse says, satisfied. So often we are not satisfied with our walk with God. So often we are always looking for the next great spiritual how to step or guides or whatever it is. 
And really, it's pretty simple. God wants to fill us not with these types of things, but rather he wants to fill us and give us joy in himself. And that will outflow into everything that we are. So in Isaiah 55, if you turn in your Bibles, we're just going to look at three verses. Three verses. And here's what it says. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Did you guys know that this was in the Bible? Isn't this the greatest thing right here, man? Like, I love this passage. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul, our weary souls may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love of David. Some of us, we hear that and our stomachs start growling. But let me just tell you this. It's not really talking about that. It's not hamburgers and, and things like that. But um, it's actually something far greater than that. And this is interesting in this context, what this passage brings about. You see, Isaiah wrote this. He was a prophet of, of royal lineage. And he had ran, he was there during the reign of four kings. Like he was around God's people for a long time. And he was a prophet, a voice for God for at least four decades. And the name Isaiah means Jehovah is salvation or God is salvation. And Isaiah, in, in the greater scheme of the Bible, is known for being the book where there are these great and clear messianic prophecies about a coming Messiah who would come. And this was written about 700 years before Christ ever was born into our broken world. And this passage, Isaiah 53 through Isaiah 55, is considered for some people like the crown jewel of all messianic uh, prophecies. And Isaiah 53, just to give us context to this great invitation that we just read, it starts out describing a suffering servant who would come and take on our sins and give us life. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says this. Um, it's up there on the screen. Surely he, the suffering servant, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord, God, has laid on Jesus the iniquity or the sins of us all. You see, here we have this amazing passage that gives us great detail detail into the one who would come and suffer and bear the sins of God's people and die in our place and rise again. 700 years before it was ever happened. Hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever something that was real. God wanted to give hope to his people and say, listen, I know things are pretty jacked up. But there's going to come someone who is going to take on all of our burdens, all of our transgressions, and we will be brought near to God. Brothers and sisters, if we could just stop right there and rest for a second. One, listen, one has come and done for us what we could not do for ourselves. How does that make you feel this morning? Especially for those of us who are really thirsty. You see, it's a great just sort of a litmus test for us. When you hear something like one who has come for us to do what we could never do for ourselves and that doesn't do anything to you. Let me say, brother or sister, if that is the case, you are thirsty and hungry this morning. And maybe you don't even know. it. 
If you could read those verses and hear one has come and paid a price we were unable to pay. And nothing happened to you. Then you are thirsty and hungry and don't even know it. It's like you have that old story of the frog who who gets dropped in the water. And they turn the heat on and you don't even have to put a lid on it. It just sets there and eventually it just dies. It just boils and it never gets out because it just sort of gets used to what's around him and nothing ever happens. And eventually he dies spiritually. Some of us are like that because when we hear this great truth, it does nothing to us. We are the boiling frog in the pot. And God is turning the heat up this morning and he's saying, rise up, awaken, listen. I have such joy and, and, and goodness for you. Don't sit there in the pot, in your own religious pot, and say, yeah, I already know this stuff. But rather, when God turns up the heat of his word, may we take the form of someone, I mean, the posture of someone who is thirsty and hungry and desperate and not just lightly just go over the, that passage. Someone has come to suffer and bear the sins of God's people and die in our place. And that happened. And I pray that our thirsty souls are moved by that unbelievable truth this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, God Almighty made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the great substitution. Christ in our place, taking our sins on Himself. That is the context of Isaiah 55. That great invitation, come, come, all you who are thirsty, come and be satisfied. This is the context, in the context of a suffering servant. And then Isaiah 54 describes in detail to whom will this suffering servant come and rescue? And Isaiah has this deliberate, beautiful imagery in Isaiah 54. He talks about a barren woman. He talks about the widow. He talks about the deserted wife. He talks about an afflicted city. All these folks are people who have great need. And Isaiah is saying all those folks who are in great need, there is a suffering servant who is coming to give them rest. They are all a people that need to be rescued, a people that cannot save themselves. So this suffering servant is coming to broken people of this world and the broken cities of this world. He is making himself available to those who realize that they are in great need. Those described in Isaiah 54, you could easily say these are people that are thirsty. And then this sets up this great invitation in our passage today. God is calling us to come. Come. So we'll break down these verses very simply by saying this. Who is invited? What is offered? And how to get it? That's how we're going to simply break this down. We'll probably move pretty fast through this. Number one, who is invited? Come, it says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. So who is invited, brothers and sisters? What is the prerequisite? Thirsty people. Thirsty and spiritually broke people. God extends an invitation to people who realize that they need God. You remember when Jesus says that I haven't come for the sick? I haven't. Jesus said this, I have not come for the for those who are not sick. Like for people who think that they have their spiritual lives together, I have not come for them. I've actually come for those who realize that they need help. They need a doctor. And so for us this morning, listen, this invitation is to us, but there's a prerequisite. It's if we're thirsty. If we're here this morning and we think we have our spiritual ducks in a row. This invitation isn't for us. It says, come 
all you who are what? Thirsty. Come all who are thirsty. He didn't just say, come everybody. He says, come all who are thirsty and realize that you need God and have realized that if you are left to yourself, we can never be invited to this party. Because some of us are in a season in our life where it feels as if the well has run dry. We have been on the spiritual, as I've said here before, the spiritual hamster wheel for quite some time, and it has left us exhausted. And that's good news for us that he says, come unto me, all you who are thirsty. Some of us have prayed for something for a long time, and it seems like it has been unanswered. We have been struck down by Latin, by by life's nasty hand. Our bodies have begun to break down and it seems there is nothing we can do about it. We have lost loved ones. We have been betrayed by people close to us. We are tired. We are worn out and we are in desperate need of God to speak to us for God to throw us a bone, please. And if that is you this morning, God invites thirsty people to come and be satisfied this morning. Come and eat and drink of God and find rest. That is why the suffering servant came. To give rest to our weary, self-sufficient, lies-believing souls. That's why Matthew 11 is one of my favorite passages. It says, come to me, all who labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know that the context of this passage in Matthew uh, 11 is that he's talking to a lot of religious people who were weighing down the folks with a bunch of religious routines and a religious rules and they were sick of it. They walked around feeling guilt and shame their whole life. And then Jesus enters in and he says, come unto me, all you who are thirsty, who are burdened, who are bogged down and I will give you rest. You see, the religious folks were putting a yoke, a heavy yoke upon them. They were putting standards upon them that they knew they could never live up to. And it was wearing them out. Just like some of us today, we put on the religious mask. We say all the right things. We act the right way around certain people. But we feel laden and heavy and broken. And we just don't know what to do. And Jesus breaks in and says, let me give you rest. Let's get off that spiritual hamster wheel where you're running really hard, but you're not going anywhere. You guys seen that imagery, right? I just saw one the other day where we actually saw the hamster doing it. And this hamster, we were in a, a pet store or something. I forget where we were at. Uh, my wife knows. And uh, and we were in there and, and oh, I was at the state fair at Alameda County Fair. And, and and there was this hamster wheel and they're so cute. It was little dwarf hamsters or something like that and there's this big wheel and it was huge i was like how is that little thing going to make this wheel go and so he jumped on that wheel and just started going man and that whole thing started flying and it went so fast that it threw him off and i'm sitting there thinking whoa but i think spiritually that's where some of us are at This huge idea of Christianity and we have a skewed view of it where we have to be perfect and we have to earn God's favor and we have to perform really well. And so what do we do? We jump on that hamster wheel, that spiritual hamster wheel, and we just start going as fast as we can. We go to everything we can. We make sure we pray before every meal. We make sure we're on time to church. Not some of you don't do that. But so, but and we and we're on there and we're running and we're saying the right things. Hello, pastor. God bless you. Oh, you know, all this stuff. But in our heart, we don't like pastor or something like that. Um, Just kidding. Not pastor. But we're on the hamster wheel and we're running, we're running, we're running. And we're exhausted. And then we crash and burn. And for some of us, crashing and burning means we just fail spiritually we just do crazy stuff for some of us we just isolate ourselves and go into our little hole we have these secret sins that we're dealing with and God is saying get off of the spiritual hamster wheel realize that you are insufficient in and of yourselves Americans and begin to just run to God 
in all your weakness, in all your your craziness, in all your everything, and just run to God, and he will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. Let me just say this before we go to our next point. Satisfaction comes to those who realize their deficiency. Rest comes to those who have given up on themselves and trusted in someone outside of themselves. What this means is that joy does not come to the self-sufficient. How many of you work really hard at your jobs? Work really hard. Man, y'all, CLC got some lazy people. Listen, how many of y'all work hard? Be honest. Let's just keep it real. You work, whether you're a mother, which is a full-time job that none of us could probably do unless you're a mother. That's, that's, I'm talking about that too. Or you have your job. How many of you work really hard? Raise your hand. And you pride yourself in that, right? And you instill that in your kids. And everything about us says, look, if you work hard, then you will get what your heart desires. You will accomplish the things that you are supposed to accomplish and your kids will too. And then, unfortunately, we take that same mindset and we take it to God. And we say, I got to work really hard. I got to perform really well. But we're all sinners with hearts that run after false idols. And, be, and when we work hard and work hard and work hard, how many of you have worked really hard at your job and then not get what you expected to get? How many of you done that? Like you're like you don't get the praise you need uh, that you were expecting. You don't get the raise. You don't get the any of that. Like you work hard. And you didn't get what you wanted. See, that's that's spiritually some of us live in a perpetual state of that. We're working really hard trying to earn God's favor and perform for him. And yet we keep failing miserably. Joy does not come to those who are self-sufficient, who are trying to perform for God. The kingdom of God has no place for those who work hard to gain God. That is anti-gospel. The gospel is, I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. I'm going to live a life, Jesus says, that you were supposed to live, but you could not live. I'm going to die a death that you should have died, but I'm going to do it for you. And then on that cross 2,000 years ago, he said three things. It is finished. And some of us, the hardest thing for us to, to believe is that it is finished. That our standing with God has nothing to do with our actions. It has everything to do with Jesus' actions. And so what do we do? We bring this self-sufficient, hard-working mentality into our spiritual life. And the sad thing is, is that churches applaud it. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing everything right. But inside, when they leave this church, they're broken, hurting people who wish that they could just believe that God actually loves them and accepts them as they are. The kingdom is for those who have realized that they are needy. And I know this goes against everything in our culture, but in God's economy, the poor are rich. The spiritually poor. Matthew 5, 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you can translate that, blessed are those who realize their need for God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we have no spiritual currency, then we are told to still come. And it's amazing that we cannot buy this stuff that is offered. But that's why you got to put it in context. It says, come, buy Even if you have no money, come on. Right? Why? Because in Isaiah 53, there is someone who came and paid it for us. There is no price that we could pay. Chapter 53 makes it clear that all us like sheep have gone astray. We have gone our own way. And the Lord has laid our iniquities upon him. So someone has done it for us. 
Someone had to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows and pay the price for our forgiveness in our life. And that's what Jesus the Messiah did. So let me just say this and we'll go to point number two. This is a charge to self-sufficient people. Hard-working folks. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for the spiritually arrogant. There is no room for anyone's nose to be turned up. There is no room for anyone to be looking down on anyone. Actually, being thirsty and broke and weak is what gets you invited into the party. Realizing our weakness is what gets us at the table at the banquet. So let me ask you this again. Are you thirsty? Or have you come in here relying upon yourself way too much? And like I said, if you are that, you are in the right place. So who has invited the thirsty and the broke? Number two, what is offered? <laughs> Water, milk, and wine. Doesn't seem like a good combination, does it? <laughs> Listen, milk and alcohol don't mix. I Trust me. That does not mean, no, don't think I'm some raging alcoholic, but I've, you know, it's, it's happened. And it didn't set well with me. So it doesn't seem like a good mix. But these three things actually bring us great pictures of satisfaction. There's imagery here in those days that when people read these words, they were like, whoa! So you see here, water is about the need for refreshment. This was in a land where, where, where there wasn't a lot of water. It was a dry and arid land. And so when he says, come to the waters, and he's talking to spiritually thirsty people, and he says, come to the waters, it's this idea of need for refreshment. When, when desperation sits in and you are parched to the point of death, what you need most is what? How many of you have read a marathon in here? Nobody. Y'all are lazy. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, how many of you like to do outside things and hike? Jordan, I know you, you're an athlete. You know what it means to be tired, right? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you come in and you're really thirsty and you've been running around, and believe it or not, I still do that. The physique doesn't tell that, but I still, I'm trying, right? And so I come in and what I want is a cold glass of milk. No. That's the worst thing. What you need when you are desperate is water. That is the only thing that will satisfy you. And this is what he's calling people to. He's saying, look, let me tell you, let me refresh you. You are parched. You are spiritually weak. You are done. You are outside of yourself. There is no hope for you. What you need is water, living water. But there's more to this illustration. When it says come to the waters, back in those days, they didn't have Walmart or Costco. You guys know that, right? There was no Walmart or Costco, but there were markets. And what they would do, these markets, the best markets, the one that everybody would go to are the ones that were really close to bodies of water. And the reason why is because at, if you had a market close to the water, you could feed your livestock, you could have the best produce, you can have the best of everything. So when they said come to the waters in ancient times, it was synonymous with come to the market. Come to the place where you could get everything you need. And so he uses this imagery to spiritually drive people. God Almighty makes an invitation and says, come to the waters and be satisfied. Come to the place where you can have everything you need. And God is inviting us to that this morning come to the waters where everything you need is there and you will be satisfied he goes on to say milk now in these days milk is was, was a luxury as well and it's this picture of continuous nurturing milk wasn't something you needed when you were really thirsty water was but milk was something that you needed to go on day by day it helped your bones it nurtured you Day by day, it's different from water and that water saves you when you are desperate. Milk sustains you day to day. And then God is inviting us to that. Day to day sustenance. Daily just nurturing for us. 
He is inviting us to stability and consistency and growth and strength even in our weakness. So he says, come to the water, you who are thirsty. Come and get milk so that you can be sustained day to day. So I want to save you and I want to keep you day to day. I don't want it to be a one-time religious event. I want to actually save you and give you life and then I want to nurture you every single day. Does that describe your relationship with God? Consistent and nurtured? And then wine has this idea of joy attached to it. We are told in many times in the Old Testament to eat and drink and be merry or joyful. We're also told that a little wine makes the heart merry and, and all these things. And, and this idea, this imagery is that there is joy. So God is, is, is inviting you and I this morning to life, to sustainability, and to joy. You see, I think God is so often portrayed as this cosmic killjoy <laughs> who wants to just keep good things from us. Actually, God wants us to be happy, not superficial happy, but joyful in this life. God wants us to be childlike and actually enjoy him. Does that describe your relationship? Think about that. When you are alone with God, are you enjoying it? Or you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like he's going to throw a lightning bolt at me. Think about that. So this invitation, he says, he says, who is invited? Those who are thirsty. And what is there there? What is being offered? Water, which is life. And milk, which is nurturing day to day. And joy. Some of us need to hear that joy. That God actually wants you to like him and enjoy him and not just sort of serve him in this way that is like a, almost like a pagan oh god let me do this for you and then you won't kill me great no he's a loving joyful god who says i want to restore the joy of your salvation does that describe you this morning do you find joy in god or is he like this big cosmic landlord he just lets you live here. <laughs> and your payment to him is to do all the right things. You see, if that's your view of God, then you have missed the God of the Bible. I'm excited that you guys are going to go through the Old Testament. We think of the Old Testament, we're like, yeah, he's definitely the cosmic landlord in the Old Testament. No, he's the God of mercy and grace to people who keep running away from him. And he says, why? This is in the Old Testament, by the way. Why do you keep running? Why are you doing this? I love you. Come back to the waters. Come back and be nurtured. Come back and find joy. Because he made us to worship and enjoy him forever. Is that what your spouse sees at home? A joyful dad? A joyful husband? A joyful man? Is that what your husband sees? A joyful woman who loves her children? Who loves God? Or is it this inconsistent religious person who puts on a mask when it, when it comes time for CLC and then takes it off when they get home? You see, God never wanted us to be like that. He wanted us to find joy. One guy said it this way, God wants to give us spiritual water for refreshment of dry and dead souls. He goes on to say he wants to give us spiritual milk for the nourishment and strengthening of weak souls. And he says spiritual wine. He wants to give us spiritual wine for the exhilaration and joy of sad and disheartened souls. And these gifts are bottomless when they come from God. They never run out. They are always there for the taking, even this morning, but we must come thirsty. John 4, 13 through 14 says this, Jesus said to her, the woman at the well, who was jacked up, by the way, who was definitely thirsty and in need of someone to love her, says everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, talking about the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. see, we waste our time and energy and life on things that do not satisfy. 
Jesus told her and he's telling us if we run after that stuff, we're going to be thirsty again. Every one of us are going to be thirsty again. That job that we did everything for to get, that house, that car, that comfort, that safety, all these values that we hold on to, we will run after them and then eventually we'll get tired of them. And they will not satisfy. That's why he says, why do you spend your money and labor in vain on things that do not satisfy? Look at that in verse 2. Why do you labor in vain and spend your own money on that which will never give you what God can only give you? We waste our time and energy on life that on things that do not satisfy. But God has this infinite warehouse that is eternal and infinite and never runs out. But we are the guilty ones in verse two. But then he still invites us. Listen diligently to me, verse two, and eat what is good. And, and delight yourselves in rich food incline your ear and come to me here that your souls may live. What is offered? Offered. Life. <laughs> Pretty big. Life. Daily sustenance. And joy. Eternal life. Daily sustenance, even in a broken world. And the kicker, the cherry on the cake on the on the, the Sunday is joy. And yet when we walk around, so man, Christians are some of the most boring people. Like, I'm being honest, I'm one of them. Like, we walk around like martyrs. Yeah, I got to go to church today. I better because God will strike me because remember, he's a cosmic landlord. Or man, yeah, let me give my tithe. I better do that. Or yeah, you know what, I better, I better not go after this because it clearly says that I'm not supposed to. God wants so much more for that. He has created us to worship and enjoy him forever. And that is what heaven will be like, by the way. If you're bored now with God, man, you probably won't like heaven. Because like, you're just going to be like, uh, you know, like, well, listen, the good thing is when we go to heaven, God takes away that sinful side of us. So you will love heaven. But maybe your thought of heaven is like, man, I got to spend all day with a bunch of Christians and God. No, thanks. That seems pretty boring. After seven days of that, of being around other Christians and just hanging out with God, that is not what I want. Man, we have no idea. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has imagined what God has in store for those who love him. But yet we walk around with a joyless faith, serving a task-driven landlord. He loves us one day, but when we mess up, he doesn't love us. That's not what the Bible's about. God did not, one guy, uh, Ravi Zacharias said, God did not come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people alive. God is inviting us to life. And then finally, how do we get it? How to get it? He says, come. Be thirsty, buy it, eat, and enjoy. This morning, he's saying, come, you've come. Some of you thirsty in two different ways. You've done the first thing. You've come. We'll come to the waters. He gives us a destination. Come to God. Come to the place where we can be satisfied. Hopefully, we're there. He says, buy. But then he says something, even if you have no money, come and buy. So he's saying, look, the price isn't the issue. Why? Because the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 took care of that. So the invitation goes to us. And then he says, eat, take it in, digest it. You see, I, I would venture just because of stats, um, in, in religious or church stats that I've been reading lately. Some of them take it with a grain of salt. But they said about 40% of people who gather in a church a 
actually take in what they hear. And the other 60% either sleep. Some of y'all just woke up just now. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait, hey, hey. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Right? Yeah, right. Come on. Like, I can <laughs> I tell you a story real quick, and I'm done. I'm done. So we used to have prayer meetings at a ministry that I that I was in, with in Chicago. And uh, it was so funny as I talk about sleep. We'd have prayer, min- uh, prayer and then uh, all of a sudden, uh, there was a guy, a good friend of mine, godly man, by the way, and, and he would always pray first. I was like, why does he always just jump in and pray first? And so then I realized one day that, the, you know, the cat was out of the bag. He would pray first so that he could sleep the rest of the prayer. And so all this time I'm sitting there thinking like, man, this guy always wants to talk to God and Jesus and be with him and like, Man, that's great. Passionate prayers. And he'd be like, yeah, amen. And then next thing you know, he'd be over there snoring. And so and, and then and, and then the crazy thing back to what I was saying is that at the end, he just had this sort of spiritual internal clock where he knew to wake up. And so he'd wake up and be like, bless God. Amen. Amen. And I'm like, get out of here, man. <laughs> so anyway, all that to say, some of us just sleep in church. 60% of us sleep or just tune out, look on our phones. We don't eat, we don't digest, we don't take in the very words of life. And it's not my words, it's this invitation. Like if we were to grasp our minds around this idea that a holy and just and perfect God who should just crush us and destroy us has made a way for us to come to him through Jesus And then said, hey, come unto me, all you jacked up people who are thirsty and chasing idols and not satisfied. Come to me. If we were to grasp that truth, we would run down these aisles and be like, God, we are not worthy. Why would you do this? Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. There's no pressure, by the way. Matter of fact, don't do that. Don't get up and be like, well, I guess I got to be spiritual and run down this aisle. We're going to think you're crazy. But yet the idea is this, we should have, as he said, rivers of living water within us that make us well up when we sing songs that make us even in the midst of pain and weakness begin to say, blessed be your name. You have given and you have taken away, but yet blessed be your name. But yet we're spiritually sleepy. And God is saying, come to the water. Buy, even though you don't have any currency. But Jesus does. Eat, take it in. And then the final thing is enjoy it. How do we get it? Come, desperate, thirsty, not self-sufficient. Realize that the price has been paid. Remember the gospel for your life. Take it in. Don't treat it like a religious routine. And enjoy it. Finally, let me say, how many of you would say that that's exactly how your relationship is with God? That you're running to Him in your weakness. That you're realizing that the price has been paid, it is finished. That you're taking in who He is. Not reading the Bible for religious duty, but rather you're reading the Bible to know God, to take Him in. And then at the end of the day, you could say, I enjoy God. My prayer for us is that those who are thirsty would be satisfied. Those who are self-sufficient would be shaken and humbled. Those of us who are broken would be put back together by our Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us who have no joy and have forgotten how great a salvation we have, that we would be awakened. So when we sing these songs, my prayer is that they would be heartfelt for all of us. Because we are all thirsty and weak and insufficient. But in Christ alone, there is strength and sufficiency. Let me pray. Father, as we prayed earlier, we, we realize 
are deficient. Some of us, especially me, Lord, we don't realize it enough. And Father, I, I don't know anything else to pray other than when we sing these songs, would you speak to us and give us a heart of worship that is not about us and all about you? Just have mercy on us, God. We realize that we try to do it on our own. Have mercy on us, God. Maybe these last few songs could be this awakening that you could give us, Lord. That would revive us and give us joy and restore the joy of our salvation. Please, Lord, let us sing with desperation. Let us sing with adoration. And let us be real with you these last few songs. In Christ's name we pray. together as a response. Confess. 